Uh, well, good day, ladies and gentlemen, uh, audience of the Drones for Good podcast. Uh, Andrew Crow's my name, as you know by now. Um, coming to you from Brisbane, not in lockdown at this point, but who knows what's going to happen uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, my stand intro, I hope, hope everyone's doing well across the country. Um, it's a difficult time. And if, if Mirigan or the podcast or anyone can do anything uh, for you, please um, please reach out and say good day. We're, we're certainly all in this together, as, as some people say, and we're happy to, to kind of help. Um, today, I think we have a bit of a groundbreaking podcast, to be honest. We, um, we have a, a high-profile um, organisation based in Australia. We have an innovative um, solution that, that, they're, uh, that they've uh, implemented across the country. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, Wing, Wing Drone Delivery. Uh, and today, I'm very lucky and very pleased to have Jesse Suskin here. Jesse is Head of Government Relations and Public Policy at Wing. G'day, Jesse. How are you? Hey, Andrew. I'm doing really well. Thanks so much for having me. Mate, thanks for uh, for having us. We, um, you know, as I sort of said, this is a, a high profile organisation. It's one that I'm sure has a lot of um, policy and regulations and stuff behind it. So, you know, on behalf of the listeners, mate, thanks so much for, for taking the time today. No, it's great. We're we're our biggest operations. We're a global company, as as you said. We're pretty big, but actually, our largest operational footprint is in Australia. It has been for years, and actually, even looking at projections, even next year, I think. Australia will remain our, our largest delivery market. So we're happy to be here and we're excited to be a part of the larger drone ecosystem that year over year in Australia. I've been doing this for a few years here now. It's just growing and growing and growing, which is really exciting. Yeah, it is. And let's um, let's talk about you to start off with. So I detect a slight hint of an accent there. Um, someone would think that you're coming to us live from LA, but you're based in Sydney. Where, where's, where are you from, Jesse? What's your background? That's right, Andrew. I am based in Sydney. My kids had Vegemite on their toast this morning, and my wife is Australian. Um, True Australian. I, I'm originally, <laughs> so I've, I've been here a number of years. And um, but but I, I am I was born in the United States. I, I've worked, lived there, and worked there for a number of years, um, mainly in government. Uh, and I, I moved from Washington D.C. to Australia uh, just under five years ago. Um, and part of that move was I met my Australian wife, who was in the United States at the time. And I, I, this seems to be a common thing in Australia where people always find their way here uh, one way or the other. So, but I have been here for five years. Uh, my background's in government. I worked for both the US government and the Australian government, interestingly, hmm. before switching over to do tech policy. And um, I spent a number of years in tech policy before being hired by Wing. And for the past three plus years, I've been helping to get Wing's uh, program up and running here in Australia to the point where now we're we're doing delivery in Canberra, we're doing delivery in Logan, we're delivering thousands of packages every single week. Yeah, fantastic. So you you didn't come from an aviation background. So how did you find that that switch? I didn't, and actually, I, th I think we have a lot of a lot of our company, as you can imagine, have an aviation background, either in drones, in traditional aviation, um, or everything in between. But uh, our policy team globally is a mix of people who have an aviation background and some who don't. I think the way regulations are headed with this, with the RPAS industry in general, if the regulations are just carbon copies of what they have been for the past hundred years, this won't necessarily work, right? I mean, drones are very different than helicopters, than airplanes. I think at the scale in which they'll roll out in the next five, 10, 15, 20 years, you might even see RPAS use eclipse uh, crude aviation in a lot of ways. Um, so I, I, I think what I've, although I don't have a background in aviation, I, I hope anyway, what I've been able to bring to the table is a perspective on solutions that might not be 
completely grounded in traditional aviation. But that being said, you know, half our regulatory team, they're pilots themselves. Um, the administrative assistant who supports our team is a pilot even. So we, we, we do surround ourselves with, and, and a number of us uh, fly drones. Although we fly drones all day, you'd be surprised how many of our team <laughs> there, you know, on their weekends off, they find themselves operating drones um, that aren't ours. So um, we, we do have a pretty dynamic and healthy mix of different perspective and different backgrounds to help um, to help move the company along. And, and I think it served us well and hopefully the industry well by bringing solutions to the table that aren't necessarily um, grounded in, in crude aviation. And I think um, you, you alluded to some some wings stuff there, and, and I want to get stuck into that. You know, I think um, I think we'd be silly to believe that um, anybody hasn't heard of Wing. You know, that's involved in our industry. Everyone knows Wing. Everyone knows that there's this, this company. They're doing stuff in Logan. They're doing stuff in Canberra. But what are you actually doing? Like, what are you delivering? Um, how's that all working? What, what's the operation? I've got so many questions in my head. I can't get them out. Just tell me the whole thing about yeah. Wing. <laughs> sure. So we our, our the commercial service we've been operating in Canberra. We've been running for about three years, and in Logan City we've been operating for two years. And we have thousands of customers across both Logan and in Canberra. And our customers all have an app. They have the Wing Delivery app. And on that app, we deliver items for two dozen different merchants. Some are bigger chains, some are mom and pop businesses. We kind of range, um, we have a range of merchants we deliver for, but but the delivery process happens the same. And, and like on other delivery apps, each of our merchants has a storefront on the app. And our customers can select the item they'd like delivered. That item is then prepared and packaged and it's loaded on a drone. That drone flies to our customer's house and it lowers the pack. It, our drone doesn't land when it delivers, but it slowly lowers a package to the ground, comes back to our site, charges and does it all over again. So these are items and our, our payload is one and a half kilos. So we're delivering small convenience items and we're located in, in high density, suburban urban areas. So Logan City is a great example of what that looks like for us. Logan's the 10th largest LGA in the country. There's hundreds of thousands of people that live there. We're not necessarily flying these drones very long distances. Um, we could fly about 10 kilometers out and back, but actually a lot of our missions are a lot shorter. We're delivering items to people who don't really live walking distance to the shops, but still need convenience items. So things like milk and butter, eggs, bread are popular. Fresh brewed coffee still remains one of the most popular items we deliver. We deliver tens of thousands of cups of coffee. We deliver so much coffee, in fact, at our site. We have baristas for the local cafes we deliver for who are exclusively preparing coffee for delivery by drone. Wow. Um, we deliver hardware and tools to work sites, to businesses. We deliver children's Panadol. If, if you, I'm trying to think of some, we deliver pet food, <laughs> pet treats, pet items. Um, if it's one and a half kilos and can fit in our delivery box, um, we can deliver it. And what that means is we're opening up a last mile delivery for a lot of businesses that haven't even had that opportunity before as well. So things like coffee and ice cream are popular because we we can deliver them quickly. Coffee, we fly at about 110 kilometers an hour. We obviously don't have to stop for red lights along the way. So um, yep. moving something like coffee by drone becomes possible. You would never, or I guess some people would. There's a, a, one thing I've learned from living in Australia is the coffee culture is is yeah people take that quite seriously so i would never say people wouldn't drive five kilometers to get a coffee a cup of coffee i'm sure in australia that happens but we could do that distance in a short amount of time not spill the coffee keep it hot and then um make that transaction viable all of a sudden say for a merchant so um our drones fly it's a highly automated system there's no vision from the drone back to our 
we have one we have a one to many permission. So we have one person, we have one safety pilot overseeing the uh, all the drones we have in the air at any given time. They're not flying them on sticks. The drones are operating off a UTM system and uh, deconflict. In, in in the case of Logan, where we have multiple drones operating, oftentimes they're deconflicting from our very own drones. Um, yeah. But they're flying autonomously. Uh, they're at 110 kilometers an hour. We fly at about 45 meters above the ground. Um, okay. And then we lower to about seven and a half meters to complete that delivery phase. And when the uh, tether lowers our package, it's automatically releases it. And again, we, we do that thousands of times a week across uh, across two states. And and we've grown over time. Actually, what we've seen during the pandemic, the circumstances of the pandemic are obviously devastating. Um, mm. And but we have seen a lot of growth when people find themselves working from home, schooling from home. In the case of Canberra, with that lockdown, we deliver to the Gungalan area of Canberra. There are a number of people who are actually under isolation orders at the moment in Canberra due to that recent outbreak there. So we're delivering these types of items, these convenience items to people in some instances who can't even leave their homes. So with no human contact in particular, um, that's made this system pretty interesting, um, a pretty interesting service during the pandemic. And we've grown a lot during the pandemic as well. Yeah. Um, I, I want to ask a question. I've got so many questions off, off that introduction, but the first one I just want to ask a question about is, is the, the economics of this. So um, I don't, they don't, they don't need to know profit and loss statements for the company, but um, so a cup of coffee, for example, you know, how, so how much is a cup of coffee to get delivered? Um, is it, is it seven bucks? Is it 20 bucks? Yeah. So actually, if you think about last mile delivery as a whole, generally that's being accomplished today, right? oftentimes by a car. So, you know, using a, a four-door sedan to drive 500 grams of hamburger four kilometers down the street, that's an expensive proposition. Mm. Um, we have a five-kilogram five drone made of styrofoam um, that uses not a lot of energy. So actually, as an example, we deliver dry pasta. So we, we deliver for grocery stores in both cities we, we operate in. You would use more energy to boil the water to cook the pasta than our drone would use mm. to deliver that box of pasta. So if you start to look through all the elements of this, we have a vehicle that is, well, many times smaller, obviously, than a car, but also significantly less expensive than a car. We have an energy cost that is very, very, very little because the drone uses very, very little energy. And essentially, if you were to move 50 hamburgers, that would be 50 cars, 50 drivers. Um, mm. We have one driver to move many vehicles at the same time. So the, the economics of this mean that for last mile delivery, which is usually one of the most expensive pieces of moving an item. Um, I've seen external studies that say this will be, at scale, this could be done 90% less than traditional means. You know, Other studies say, I've seen anywhere from two thirds to 90% less in terms of mm. the cost. So right now we aren't charging for delivery at the moment because we're trying to get this model just right. We know we can do it yep. for significantly less than the traditional means. What we don't want to do is build a model that, you know, traditional last mile delivery right now, the model is very expensive and it doesn't necessarily work for the small businesses or the merchants, or excuse me, the small businesses or the consumers that participate mm. in that. Uh, oftentimes when consumers use a traditional delivery app, they might not realize they might be paying a flat fee of say five or $6 what they're not seeing is what the merchant has to pay. And that, that's usually significantly yeah. more. And for yeah. the types of convenience items we deliver, that becomes the entire margin. We want to make sure we deploy a model that works for everyone, for us as a company, obviously, but also for the merchant, also for the customer. We're actually doing enough scale now and have worked with some of our merchants long enough 
where we, we're just starting to sit down and work out these models right now. What's going to work in the long run? You've seen how you know the quality is high, the speed is high. For some instances, that's what's more important to the merchant than the cost, right? So if you're delivering, co- you would never want your product, your coffee, to be served cold, right? There's there's <laughs> a, a real quality control value, right, in, in delivering something like coffee by drone. But we do want to make sure that model is right. So today, our our, our customers are paying what the cost of the item is. Um, okay. And and which would be, you know, I'm trying to think what what our coffee merchants sell cappuccinos for, but yeah, whatever, you know, it's, it's along the prices. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. Exactly. Um, yeah. Along those lines, but, but we have the options for different models, which is exciting too. So right now our merchants co-locate with us, but um, there's nothing stopping us from having our drones co-locate with kitchens or at restaurants or with other merchants. Um, The process is, is because it's, it's highly automated is very straightforward. And, and even that, will open up different, you know, economic opportunities for the merchants we deliver for or for us as a company. So we're just working through that piece right now, but we're, we're hitting the scale where we're doing thousands of deliveries every week where we can start actually working through that piece a bit more. And I think um, something you said then, Jesse, re- really, um, really sprung into my mind and, and, and piqued my interest. And it was around that um, engagement with businesses. And, you know, we've seen, we've seen the, the food delivery, um, I guess we'll call it a debacle in, in some respects for some companies. And I'm not going to mention companies because I'll end up suing the podcast. Um, but, you know, it hasn't been done well and they haven't taken into consideration the, the cost to the merchant and particularly during COVID people are hurting anyway. So, I'm, you know, I certainly applaud you guys for, for taking that on board, I guess, in some respects and, and having that conversation with them to understand how it affects them. Yeah, it's not to criticize other. Models. Look, I'm a I'm a big user myself of of food delivery applications, and <laughs> I I buy things online, a lot of things online, right? So I do use e-commerce a lot. So um, I, I and and look, I think for a lot of restaurants, right, those delivery apps have been a lifeline when when people can't go mm. to restaurants. I think for us as well, we've we've been able to offer the businesses we deliver for. We've been able to offer a service during terribly, you know, incredibly difficult and challenging times. We have some merchants who. Uh, one of the earlier lockdowns in Queensland, as an example, we deliver for, they're, they're called extraction. Actually, you're, you're Queensland based. So if you find yourself in Logan, you should go down to extraction coffee. They make a great cup of coffee. We actually started working with them because when we were looking at Logan as a city to enter into, everybody was talking about this. I mean, I, you know, you are in Australia, there's a coffee shop in every corner, but when we were starting yep. to look at Logan, we, we kept hearing about, um, we kept hearing about extraction coffee. So we went over, we met the owner, we had a great cup of coffee and a meal at his restaurant. And he had a real vision for this. This is part of the reason we started working with him. He really, um, he just saw this right away, right? Some people don't, some people do. Some people right away go, they have questions about, well, what about this? Or what about that? Or right away, um, this was a merchant who was like, I can totally see this working. My customers would be excited by this. This will work in Logan, let's get started. Um, and again, as I'd mentioned, we, we, we offer coffee delivery. We're so busy now with his coffee. He sends a barista to our site to prepare coffee each day for drone delivery. But during the lockdown, he had to shut down his retail store. He sent, he was able to, instead of taking the hours away from those staff, he was able to send them to our site to keep working because the demand was higher when everyone was home. We were delivering more coffee during the lockdown as an example. You know, we have a number of merchants who same thing when they weren't able to derive revenue from their traditional business model, which usually involved walk-up retail they were able then to work with us. So we, we do think this, we, we know we, we know in talking to these business owners, especially during these tough times, how important getting this right will be. And, and we're lucky that we, we, we have a moment where we can 
offer delivery here from our, we want to get it right for consumers too and customers too. Um, mm. You know, part of what we deliver, I'd mentioned hot chucks are a great example. We didn't start delivering whole roasted chickens. It was just something we kept hearing from our customers as we were delivering more in Logan. It was our customers in Logan, a lot of them are working parents. A lot of them are in homes where both parents work. If you live in Logan City and you work in Brisbane, that that commute, that traffic can be tough. And sometimes if you mm. live in Logan, that trip to the grocery store for a chicken can become a 15-minute proposition if you're sitting in traffic, fighting for a parking spot, waiting in line, grabbing the chicken, mm. running home. if we, It's the type of item that you wouldn't necessarily find on a traditional delivery app, particularly because re- you really want it hot right? It's one of those things best served hot. But this is a meal that's affordable. It could feed a family. We can move it in just a few minutes. And it was requested by our customers. The grocery store we deliver for said, this is no problem to do. And then now we move, you know, <laughs> this year we've done well over, I think we've done something like 1,500 chickens this year, right? Just, you know, we've, we've given wings to those. <laughs> it's chickens. a lot of chickens. A lot of chickens to crisscross Logan. So, um, yeah, it's, we, 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 are, we, we do like being driven by our, our merchants, by our customers. Even when Echo was canceled, our one of the grocery store we deliver for said, Hey, we could do show bags, we could do fairy floss, we could do Dagwood dogs. And over the weekend that was supposed to be Echo for Logan, we did 500 packages for you know things like mm-hmm. that. So we, we do like having a very close partnership and working relationship with our merchants to make sure we're delivering things that consumers want. Um, and we want to make sure this works for them as a merchant, for our customers, etc. So having those types of relationships, I suppose we could be we get a lot of interest in people wanting us to deliver things for them, but Right now, we've done well by working closely with merchants who have a vision for this, who can take the time to work on the model and understand the customers they're delivering for it. It's, it's been a really interesting and great process so far. And so just so I understand the operating model, um, because I, I think I'm, I'm a little bit confused potentially as well. So you've got you've got a, a wing hub um, located in Logan, located somewhere in Canberra. We'll talk Logan. Are all the items at that hub, or are you, and I know you spoke about that, a specific example where you've got a, a brista at your site. So obviously the drone takes off in goes the coffee and, and it shoots off. Um, but does that happen with all items or will the drone fly to a, to an area, pick up the item and then fly to the customer? How does that work just to confirm that? Yeah. So in Canberra, we do have a hub. We have one facility that serves the suburbs we deliver to. In Logan, we have a few different facilities. It's big enough that actually, and it's busy enough that instead of having just one center where all the drones come in and go, we've peppered them around the city to cover different suburbs. Uh, and actually, therefore, the merchant offering is different. So at our hub site, as an example, in Logan, one of our bigger ones, we do have a barista based there because mm. there's enough volume to justify that um, for the vendor, as an example. And for the items we deliver that are static, there's so much. We do we do them almost on a consignment model where they are dropped off at our site and then we deliver them. We do have some sites that are near or co-located near our merchants. So we, we deliver for... Um, we have a delivery site that is next to one of the restaurants we deliver for, as an example. So when they prepare the order, they just walk it to the drone, which happens to be next door. That being said, that model of the drone going to the merchant, picking up and moving on, that's not technically difficult to do. Um, so it, it, these are the types of things we have the ability to deploy. And actually, you know, Andrew, I think if you were to check in with me at the end of the year and say, what does the model look like now? I think it will actually... We'll continue doing what's working well where our merchants are co-located with us. But I think you'll see a few different instances where we've tried different things. We're, we're bringing the drones where our merchants are. So um, it, it's stay tuned on that front. We, we've started with that hub approach, but we've actually become so busy. And there's been enough interest that we're, we are trying different models. And the beauty of operating a five kilogram drone that's only a meter and a half by meter 
because you don't need a lot of space or infrastructure to support that. Our drones take off and land from a, their charging pads. They charge wirelessly. So at, at one of our sites, you'll have charging pads laid out across a flat area. The drones take off and land from their respective pads. Um, laying down that infrastructure at different places is not hard and because the footprint's very small and because the power requirements are very minimal. Um, and furthermore, because our, our drones are, they fly autonomously, but the pilot doesn't have to sit next to the drone, that does afford us the opportunity to try these different models, which is really exciting. Um, yeah, and, and I think that the flexibility piece of that I really like, which is Wing is not a one-size-fits-all, you know, organisation slash operating model. And so what works in Logan may not work in Canberra, might not work in the middle of Brisbane, might not work in the middle of Brazil, might not work in the States, might work differently somewhere else. So you adapt to your environment, really, and what the environment needs. That's right. Absolutely. Even the items we deliver in Canberra, the, the cities and demographics are very different. You know, so our customers in Canberra, uh, you know, a number of them work for the government, which you wouldn't be surprised to hear if you live in Canberra. Yeah. They're generally at, they're at their offices during the day, right? So we have a slower midday period in Canberra and a much busier morning and afternoon period. In Logan, there's a combination of people. Our, our customers in Logan range from tradies to shift workers to white collar to people who, it's, it's such a big city of all types of people working there. It means we're, we're, meeting, we're, we're meeting the needs of different people and they have different needs. What we do think we solve for overall is pretty specific. Last mile delivery now, as it exists now, at the clip and the pan, all the pandemic has done is brought a lot of this forward. When people have now gotten used to ordering things online, to have them delivered, having their groceries delivered, having their food delivered, what I think you'll see is when these restrictions ease and as we move out of a, a pandemic mindset and go back to normal, um, some of those behaviors aren't gonna change. Our cities and our suburbs were not built for last mile delivery as it exists today. You know, buildings have loading docks that were built for one truck to back in and unload, not for 40 cars to pull up and unload as an example. Mm. And you're starting to see last mile infrastructure globally hit capacity because it was never designed for where we're at now. And what's happened in the pandemic is it's just brought forward the popularity and the actual yeah. practical use of last mile delivery. But my prediction is, and, and, Logan's a great example. You are not, I, and my fingers crossed, Andrew, is it stays this way. You're not in lockdown right now in Logan, right? You can move, mm. you can, you know, people are going to school, people are going to the shops, people are living a, a more normal life than they are in Canberra, Victoria, or New South Wales at the moment. But although we've, we see spikes during lockdowns, we don't necessarily see the numbers drop back down after. We see the behavior continue. Um, We've in Canberra, they're in lockdown now. In this most recent lockdown that started in August, we've done over 10,000 deliveries just in this short lockdown period they've had in Canberra. We've had hundreds of new customers sign on. I imagine those customers will remain customers even after the lockdown phase ends, as an example. So, but this goes across all last mile delivery. I think just people have found, in, in the case of Wing, they've found a convenience that's probably unparalleled and will keep using that service. Um, but also for people might get used to ordering things online and having it delivered versus going to the store more than they were previously. And so what we think we solve for are a number of things. One is we know with a lot of, a lot of the deliveries we're doing, we're taking cars off the road. And mm -hmm. I don't necessarily mean delivery cars. I mean cars trips that you as the consumer would have taken yourself. That chicken example is a great one. If you aren't running to the store, running in, buying a chicken and running home or running to buy a package of Panadol and running home or getting that milk or butter, whatever it might be, 
Um, a lot of these car trips that come off the road are car trips that were taken by the consumer, but they add up very quickly. And those vehicle kilometers add up very quickly. And then emissions add up very quickly. And then there are a subset of the vehicle trips taken off the road that are that would resemble, say, like food delivery, right? Where that is a car trip reduced, where it's it is emissions reduced. So we think for this this is absolutely the most environmentally friendly way to move something by far. It just uses so little energy. Um, and 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 I don't and look, you know, although we plan the last mile delivery space. I don't think we're the perfect solution for everything. If you have 400 packages on a truck running a very specific route, that's a pretty efficient way to move 400 packages. Or if you have a food delivery going 300 meters, that might be better on foot or bike, right? Um, it's that last mile delivery where you start to get out of the range where it would be practical to walk to or bike to. Um, or where, again, it's typically might be using a car to move a very small thing. One little package of food sitting in the backseat of a sedan is just not that efficient. So um, I think we solved for that. I think from an economic opportunity, we talked about the modeling. This will just provide a last mile option for businesses that don't have it currently because it will be so inexpensive. Mm. Uh, or, or for businesses where that they can't really lose that margin, they can't afford to lose the little margin they make on paying for a delivery, right? So we think we, think we solved for that. And then the productivity and the convenience is, is also unparalleled. Um, we in Logan's a great example too. In Logan, we work with a hardware store. We deliver hardware, so tools, hardware items, things like that. We have a lot. A, a number of our customers are tradies in Logan. They're ordering the items they need for their worksite at their house before they leave. And we saw that happening enough where now we're delivering to work sites. We'll get requests from some of our customers. We'll say, "Hey, I'm working over here. Can you deliver to this worksite?" And we will, and we do. Um, so <laughs> it, it's the productivity there. If you're a tradie. Normally, if you ran out of screws, you're putting your apprentice in a pretty heavy truck, maybe driving across town to pick up screws, right? Think about using a 4,000 pound truck to buy screws. You lose, mm. you have to drop tools, you lose the tradie, you, you, you're the apprentice, you lose the productivity. It's elements like that too, beyond just what we're doing now that I think the potential here, you know, for medical delivery, and there's others in Australia who are doing medical delivery right now. It's, it's a brilliant mm. use of the technology. Um, prescription delivery. I, I think the the possibilities here are endless, and um, what we're doing, what others are doing, what others in the ecosystem here are doing, it's it's just fascinating work. It's important, and will hopefully move the whole industry forward. Yeah, and we are eating up time um, very very quickly, which doesn't surprise <laughs> yeah. me at all. But luckily, I think we've got through a bunch of questions already. I do want to talk about, um, and I think my listeners would be frustrated if I didn't, the elephant in the room or the, yeah. the black raven in the room. Um, and the, by the room, I mean Canberra. Um, and by yeah. the elephant, I mean the black raven. Um, now, I think most of our listeners <laughs> saw and I saw and reposted um, one of the most amazing videos I've ever seen with uh, full video credit going out to Ben Roberts based in, um, based in Canberra. Um, broadly, for those that haven't seen it, there was an interaction between a, a wing delivery drone um, and, and a bird. Now, um, impressively, I, I was I was shocked at the level of stability um, shown by, by the aircraft and the fact that obviously the aircraft came back from all reports and everything was good. Can you give our listeners, I guess, a bit of a rundown of what happened, um, how the aircraft returned? Did the did the pilot even know that it occurred? I've got so many questions about this one incident, but but I'll let you sort of talk yeah. about it first and then ask questions. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So actually, everybody who views, I know I'm on a drone, everybody views this video, they, they come out with a different opinion. The engineers of the world, the pilots of the world, that's usually their first response. They're impressed by how the drone performed during that. But here's what I'd say at the top is, 
it's so rare that there's bird, we're flying mainly in suburban and urban areas. Actual bird wing drone interaction is extremely, 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 extremely rare. We've operated in Canberra for three years. We know magpie swoop. We know this particular raven was just more aggressive than we've seen previously. And actually I spoke with Ben who shot that video. He told me, yeah, that raven goes after the garbage, the rubbish truck once a week. And it's a pretty aggressive <laughs> raven. Um, and, but, but because we operate in the suburbs, mainly the types, most birds we don't actually even fly near or interact with, right? So it's, it's mainly birds that are in an urban or a suburban environment, which as uh, most Australians would know who live in Australia, you know, that, that would be magpies, right? During mating season. And in this case, ravens. Um, we've always, and we operate in a way to account for that behavior. So you might've seen in that video, or if you're one of our customers, you know, we go into that hover column at a very specific speed, right? To, and that, that part of that reason is for, to account for avian life, right? So they can mm -hmm. swoop without making contact because we're not going that quick. So they can operate around the drone um, when it might be in the vicinity of where they are. And this type of behavior we know exists during mating season in Australia. We work with a local bird expert, an ornithologist, who gives us advice on operating in Canberra. So there's certain areas we don't fly around because he's told us it might be sensitive for bird life, and we respect that. We really do want to be good stewards of the environment. And because we're, we're a first mover at scale, we know we have to take this piece incredibly seriously. So this type of behavior, in, in the three years we've been operating in Canberra, we've never seen it before. Um, that being said, we built a drone that has a number of redundancies to account for a situation like this. So as you saw in the video, as you described, uh, if you've seen the video, you would have noticed the drone hadn't made the delivery when the, the raven started to first interact with it, but the drone completed the delivery. It, it went did, back yeah. to our, it did, yeah, yeah. And, and actually Ben finished this, I, I spoke with the customer, Ben had his coffee, it was fine. The, the raven didn't get the coffee, <laughs> didn't spill it. So the delivery was completed. The drone was able to maintain stability when that interaction took place. And then the drone came home safely. So the drone operated as it was intended to, if something like this happened. And even that behavior, we had known it could be a possibility and that's why we operate in the way we do. And, and we follow expert advice to make sure we operate in a way that if that were to happen, it's okay. Afterwards, um, we saw the video too. Obviously it was a customer who placed the order and took the video. We spoke to the customer and we got our bird expert out to that street. He very quickly located the nest and he made a recommendation on a few streets nearby um, to not fly there. <laughs> Although we know the drone could do this and, and the bird was, I might add for your, for the listeners who might be concerned about the bird, our bird expert found the bird. The bird is fine. The chicks are fine. Everything Bird's is fine. good. Um, Excellent. So, yep. Yeah. We're going to stop. We're, so we have for a few weeks time, we're going to avoid, well, well mating season wraps up. We're going to avoid doing deliveries in, in a few block radius of where that bird's nest is. And we'll resume it after uh, nesting season is over. And that's normal. And, and we've done this now again for a number of years, but actually having good bird experts is helpful. But by way of how we operate and deliver, bird interactions are extremely, extremely rare. Um, but, but what were your other questions? Did I miss questions there? Sorry. I, I yeah, no, that's okay. I've, I've, got, I've got plenty of questions, but I'll, but I'll keep them short anyway. So um, as much as you can, you can explain to us, given, you know, given wing and, and you've got to keep things to yourself, obviously, given your, your job has, you know, government relations and, and public in the name, what was the internal reaction in wing? Was everyone freaking out about this? You know, what, what was kind of the, what was the general kind of feel within the company um, when this video came out? 
No, I th- we've we've always known birds swoop, right? Again, because by way of being in Canberra, our our engineers know exactly how the drone is meant to operate. Even our regulators, right? They know we have to go through a sort. I mean, actually, this is a drone podcast, so I can say Sora, and people will know what that means. Sora, um, everyone knows what Sora is. Yeah, we've gone through <laughs> a very extensive Sora safety case, right, with our safety regulator, um, where the the redundancies in the drone to make sure that it can operate during that interaction or a number of other different scenarios, we've had to make that safety case. That's been built into the drone. And even within the company, because we we work with bird experts, I don't think anyone was surprised or worried or, although it hadn't happened before, this is something mm. that could have happened. And it's something our it's engineers thought about. Some point. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I mean, it's the sky, right? It's There's birds in the sky with, with traditional aviation, bird or I actually, I would make the argument we're safer for birds than cars or planes because there's much more interactions with, with, with avian life, with vehicles or with, you know, crude aviation or fixed wing aviation. That's a very um, good point. This is actually. so rare. I really consider that. Yeah, yeah, I would actually argue we're safer in that instance. And as you saw in this video, the bird was fine and the drone was fine. So I think mm-hmm. we've developed, you know, we've we've always said you don't go out and test that, but flying drones around birds and you hope they grab at you or swoop at you. But you know, I a lot of people assume I think this happens all the time. It just doesn't. There's sometimes videos of birds and drones or hawks getting at drones, but we're not flying. We're flying in the suburbs, right? If, if we're really only flying your birds that you yourself might see if you walk out your front door. Um, so it means our operating nature, we can really hone in and focus in and operating in an environmentally friendly way from the environment in which we operate in. So we don't have to actually, our, 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 our bird expert looks at all the birds in Canberra and then starts marking off the ones that we wouldn't have to think about because they don't even exist within the suburbs, right? Maybe they're in the flats or they're out in the woods or wherever they might be. Um, but it means our company can operate in a way and then hone in to operate safely for the birds we could possibly encounter. Although, again, I've never seen anything like this in the three years we've been at Wing. But I'm I'm pleased that the drone operated in the way they did. I'm pleased the bird mm. is safe. Um, uh, and I'm pleased that the protocols we've put in place and the bird experts we work with have given us good advice. And the engineers have designed a drone that everything worked out as it was supposed to if this were to happen, although it's rare that it does. Mm. So th- that was that was our reaction at the company. Um, mm. Our PR team probably <laughs> freaked out. <laughs> we were pretty busy. I, not even freaked out. I think we have a, the reaction I've had on all spa- on, on, has been pretty, you know, people have, I think when we can discuss what's happened, I think people accept that as a reasonable response. So it's not that they freaked out, but there was a lot of input, certainly, or questions that came in um, when the video started to get out. And yeah, I would say this is probably the most famous raven in the world this week. Um, because I've I'd seen so video as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other question I've got around this incident, but incident more broadly, I guess, is um, does the aircraft, does the pilot know that that even has occurred? Like if, if Ben hadn't recorded that video, would you even know? Um, you know, because I think that could have been a large gust of wind. It could have been kind of, you know, anything. Yeah. So if the drone, so the drone, the drone while it's flying is doing internal checks constantly on a number of things. What our safety pilots are mainly monitoring for, they're monitoring the whole system. So they're making sure that the systems that are doing those monitorings, that that monitoring is working. They're listening to radio. They're watching ADS-B. They're watching the weather. They're looking for a number of things. But again, they're not flying the drone. They're not digging into that drone at any moment saying, is this working or not? Um, the drone, if, if let's say, and now our wind tolerance is pretty high, just to be clear, but I'll give you an example that could happen. 
although it would be rare if it did because we will stop service right if we hit we watch the weather coming in there's usually not surprises on weather but using your example if it were a gust of wind if the drone were doing a mission and encountered wind and the drone knew it couldn't make it back to site because of that weather the drone would probably find a safe place to perform a contingency landing even before and that wouldn't be done by the pilot that would be done by the drone as an example hmm. so our pilot wouldn't i would have to double check this but i don't believe our pilot would have because the drone as you saw it recovered right it it, it well and it finished it, the delivery it, it still dropped the coffee it and finished the delivery it was able to do everything it was supposed off. to do so there wouldn't have been an indication because it did everything it was supposed to do there wouldn't have been an indication to that safety pilot that anything was was catastrophically wrong um the drone knew after checking its systems, it accounted for the interaction. Everything was fine. It was able to complete the delivery. It was able to go back into hover. Um, it was able to fly back and then hover and land back at its charging pad. So the pilot, I don't believe, would have had any indication on our systems that anything was wrong because really nothing was wrong in that mm. instance. Now, if there were something catastrophically wrong, <laughs> monsoon type winds maybe i'm trying to think what that would be right yeah the drone the, it, the drone would perform a contingency landing where safe to do so um even before that pilot would would initiate that or know something was wrong so the drone part of our safety case is that the drone is constantly monitoring its own health and its own systems to determine that it can do what it's supposed to do and in the case of this it knew it was meant to deliver the package it did it, was new, it knew it was meant to fly home safely. It knew it could do so, and it and it did so. So um, I don't actually believe the pilot would have had an indication something was wrong. Hmm. I don't think the plane would have thought anything was catastrophically wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have a fantastic person at Mirrigan, um, Nicola, based in Melbourne, um, smartest lady in the world, and doing a PhD in yep. drone acoustics. Not a not a term that I would have used um, up until meeting Nicola. Um, and and she will kill me if I don't ask questions about noise and, and you got noise. It. So. Can, uh, can you sort of talk to me about uh, the importance that's placed on, on noise and, and deterrence of noise and stopping noise and, and how you're reducing that noise? Um, any of those types of comments around noise? Yeah, the, especially because we're, we're really one of the first in the world to do this at scale. Hmm. You know, I'll give you an example. In Logan, we talk about numbers in big chunks, but, I, you know, the last lockdown in Logan, it was seven days. We did 4,500 deliveries in that seven-day period, 4,500. That's that's a lot of flying, right, over Logan City. Mm. We know we have to operate in a way that is neighborly um, at that scale. So we have engineers. Um, actually, the, the woman who designs our propeller, we have a noise expert too, and she is brilliant at what she does. She is the smartest person, actually, <laughs> I've met at Wing. Um, yep. And because I deal with regulators in the community, actually, she is, she is, she's not only the smartest person at Wing, she's one of my favorite people to work with at Wing because she's been able to develop, and obviously there's a larger team, but to design and work through solutions that mean we can operate in a neighborly way. So we've had different iterations um, of, or I should say configurations and iterations on equipment and how we operate to account for noise. Um, and that's happened as we've, as we've grown bigger. And we're actually at the point now when we fly over, we fly over generally at a, a, an altitude of about 45 meters. That could adjust for terrain or, or the environment, but ultimately, because we're flying over suburbs, right? There's not big towers in the middle of, you know, a thousand home suburban area, right? We're generally flying at about 45 meters above the ground. And at that height, our average decibel output from the drone is 43 decibels. 
So if you're inside your house, as Nicola would probably tell you, generally speak, or generally accepted acoustical measurement would be that if you're inside your house, you take 10 decibels off. So once we're flying, I'm probably, if you were to put a noise, I talk loudly. Uh, it's probably <laughs> the American. So if you were to measure even right the output of this podcast, right, we're probably in the 50 decibel range. We're averaging right. 43 okay. decibels. So if you're inside your house, we're averaging, it would, it would, it would sound to be even less. And um, that's what's most common in our operations would be flyover. Our customers aren't ordering 10 things a day, seven days a week. These are convenience items we deliver. They're not doing their whole shot on the wing drum. They're getting that one chicken or one liter of milk, right? It's usually the thing you forgot in between shots that you're using wing yeah. So our customers are ordering at a rate where, and this, this is to transition to the second noise piece, um, would be during hover, right? So when we, we hover for about 45 seconds to lower that package, and the average decibel level, and, and because that's not consistent, people could be different distances from the drone. It varies, but at 15 meters, mm. we average 60 decibels in hover. But that's a noise that would be less common in the neighborhood because it's it only happens when a delivery takes place versus flyover. Um, so that is louder, obviously, than 43 decibels, but it's so, well, I'd say a few things. One, it's more quiet than even a car idling. So if you're getting something by delivery, we're quieter than that motorbike, we're quieter than that car or that truck idling. Mm. <coughs> pardon me 60 decibels is <coughs> pardon me Andrew I'm going to take a sip of water you're right I'll talk for a second and, and I, I know what you, yeah. you're talking about there and um, I was part of the AUS noise working group when we were um, kind yeah. of providing some advice and feedback to the department of infrastructure on noise and one of the big points I made is we need to we need to approach noise as a most sensible person standard because we, we can't make it the most sensitive person standard because then nobody's right. going to care about anything the other point that, that I made at the time and um, and that I think is applicable is that, you know, 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning, your next-door neighbour can go on, on his lawnmower and make as much noise in the world and we don't we don't talk about it. The my garbage truck, for some reason, comes at 4.15 in the morning and picks up the garbage and makes noise. Now, we don't, we don't care about that because we're accustomed to that noise, but I can imagine that drone noise is new and that's and it, it's yeah. an education piece for, for, um, for the area. Absolutely. It's... it's- it's not that it's, it, it's absolutely new. Most people aren't accustomed mm. to regularly hearing noise above their heads. That's really the, the different piece. It's not that the, and actually even in some of the the changes we've made to our drones over the years, you know, we ran a trial years ago in Canberra where we did get some critical feedback from the community. And I, when I spoke to people who were giving that feedback about noise, I, I wanted to better understand, our company wanted to better understand what specifically about the noise was the problem because if someone just tells you it's very easy for you to say hey that was loud um mm. and it's hard to, there's not necessarily enough information in a statement like that to be able to work on mitigations um what I, what we found in some early conversations were it was actually yeah maybe it was loud maybe it wasn't but people were noticing the pitch the frequency the dominant frequency okay. during the hover phase and this was years ago in our first trials so um the engineering team I referenced a moment ago, when we went back to them and said, hey, we're getting noise feedback from the community. By the way, don't just focus on lowering the decibel level. That's important. But actually, can you focus on addressing the dominant pitch? Because in people, and in, in talking about this, this seems to be what is bothering them, not the volume, it's actually the pitch. So mm -hmm. one of the things our team worked on before we started our permanent operations, we made adjustments to our propellers um, our hover propellers. So when in that delivery column, we were able to reduce that dominant pitch by over half. And that was a humongous change to make because then, but, but if it was just 
on noise complaints or people complaining about noise, we might have just said, okay, we have to reduce the decibel level, not thinking about mm. frequency or pitch, right? So part of what we're doing now is, you know, Logan and even in Gangalan and Canberra, we really, the neighborhood feedback is critically important for us. We, we need to operate a system that, yes, our customers like, and yes, businesses like using, but largely that the rest of the neighborhood is okay with. And you're right. There's, there will always be people on both ends of the scale that, mm. you know, might dominate that conversation. But the reality is, you know, there's a lot of people in the middle and that's really what we're trying to get right is, is you know, the average person who lives in a suburb we deliver with are, if, if they're not a customer, you know, are they going to be okay? And what we've seen is now that we've been here for years and doing the volume we are, is, yeah, we, we think we've designed something and it took us a while to get there. We had to get a lot of feedback from the community to get that right. And actually we, I was on that same working group with you, with the department. I think there's been some good thought going behind this at early stages, even in the cities we operate in, you know, they've helped us connect with the right community stakeholders to make sure we're having these conversations and doing that education before we go to, because most people won't have necessarily seen a drone operating mm. in, 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 in real life, let alone having maybe multiple drones fly near them or fly over their homes, I should say, in any given day. When we go to a new, you know, when we go to a new city, we do a ton of outreach before the first day we fly weeks of it. We do door knocking, we do pop-ups, we, we, we do flight demonstrations. When we do pop-ups, we bring the drone with us so people can see it and be like, oh, this is styrofoam. Oh, wait, I can pick this up. This is five <laughs> kilograms. Oh, this isn't maybe as scary as I thought it was. And I like doing flight demonstrations. So, cause, oh, this is, this isn't so, but, oh, I thought this would be, I heard a drone once it was much louder. This isn't that bad, right? There's a lot of upfront <laughs> education and answering questions. And, and some of those are gonna be hard questions, right? You have a lot of people who aren't familiar with this technology who have tough questions for us on safety or on noise. But I find answering those before we start operating is the best way to do this. I actually, for anyone listening who's looking to deploy RPS technology or AM technology in neighborhoods is do that work up front. It's critically important. Um, and, and that has done well in conjunction with some operational changes we've made. Um, Jesse, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface my, my last question because we're, we're probably well over time already with, um, I, I'd love to get you back on if we can to talk about the future of, sure. of what you guys are doing because I feel that yep. you could talk about the future for another 45 minutes. But can you give us a quick, you know, 30 second to a minute um, summary? What's what's next for Wing? You know, what, what's the future of this technology and the, fu well, the future of your organisation and, and drone delivery? Yeah, I. it's a great question. I, I have the best job in the world that I get to think about this. <laughs> I do, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, I do policy and some of the policy problems I'm asked to work on, you know, hand in hand with regulators or with others in industry or even at a local level with the community, these are the first times these questions are even coming up. So thinking ahead and thinking to the future is really exciting for me. It's really exciting for the company. Um, I, I think that, and I'd alluded to this a little bit, I, I think again, with the pandemic, last mile delivery of, of small convenience items will continue to take off and the infrastructure just mm. isn't there to support it. So I think you will start to see more innovative models where the drones go where the merchants are versus the other way mm. around. Um, I, th I think some last mile delivery will stay the same. I don't think drones are the solution for everything. I don't think all last mm. mile delivery should move from the ground to the air. You know, I think this will just become a tool, an important one, but a tool that is part of a larger delivery mix getting things like emissions reduction right and getting things like traffic management right. Um, I think there's a sweet spot, at least in the way we operate. Look, I think there are other Australian operators who are doing different things. They're going, they're carrying larger payloads at longer distances. 
in, in a country like Australia, that's vitally important, right? Particularly in the medical space or the health space. So I think you'll see a number of different OEMs and operators come together and solve different pieces of that logistics puzzle, but solve it in an innovative, cost-effective and green way. And that's what's most exciting here. I think I'd give credit to CASA in this instance. Australia is leading the way in this because we, we operate in Europe, we operate in America, we operate here. Our largest operations, we do more deliveries in Australia than anywhere else in the world. Part of that's because, you know, CASA set a high bar for safety and that's important and that's great, especially as the technology is just getting off the ground. Um, but they were forward thinking enough to say, okay, Wing, you want to do this? Here's Sora. Prove to us you can have the same safety outcomes. <laughs> Prove it, yeah. right? And we did. We took a long time to do it, but it worked. And um, I think, and others in industry are doing that right now too. And and I think Australia will lead the way. It's it's because it, in aviation, Australia doesn't necessarily lead the way, right? A lot of manufacturing is done in the U.S. It's done in Europe. Therefore, type certifications are generally done there. Australia is not necessarily always leading the way in aviation. In this particular instance, Australia is leading the way. You had mentioned the infrastructure working groups. Those are happening here now. They're not happening in other places. You know, CAS's use of SORA is happening here more dynamically than it is in other places. So other countries are starting to catch up, but Australia has a head start here. So what the future looks like, I actually think Australia will define what the future looks like, and then we'll export that future to other countries. So how we are applying it here... My colleagues in Europe and America call constantly to better understand what we're doing here because we're doing it here first. And it means the way we're operating, we're kind of exporting that that use case and how we operate to other countries. And it's, it's a great place for Australia to be in, not only for Wing, but I think for, for the whole industry. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and I'm not going to ask another question because we're, we're well over time now and I certainly appreciate um your time, Jesse. Um, again, thanks so much for coming on. Um, you know, Wing is is known in Australia. It's well known around the place. And to get these type of insights is, is fantastic. And, and I thank you again for, for taking the time to come on. If I can, um, can we get you back on in a couple of months' time and, and just kind of be the update yeah. or, or dive into some other things? Yeah, as I mentioned, we're proud. I, I know your audience, you, you have a, a, an audience following that is in industry. We love being a part of this ecosystem and this industry. Um, Frankly, we should be, these conversations are great, right? They're, they're important to have in the public. They're important to have in the press and with policymakers. But equally, I think um, I think the work the whole ecosystem, the whole industry is doing is exciting. Um, I'd be more than happy to come back um, and, and share with what we're doing and actually hear about what others are doing as well. So anytime, Andrew, we'd be happy to. Awesome. Jesse, um, thanks again. Uh, I know our listeners can, can know where to go to find more information and, and I'm sure there's lots coming up um, for Wing, so we'll, we'll stay tuned. Um, Jesse, thanks again, mate, and, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, and ladies and gents, uh, that's the end of another podcast here, uh, the Drones for Good podcast. Once again, thanks for listening uh, to the Drones for Good podcast. Um, don't forget that if you enjoy the show, please uh, please subscribe to the podcast, give it a rating, tell us what we're doing well, tell us what we're doing poorly, and tell us who you want to listen to. Um, it's the industry's podcast. We want to hear from you. Jesse, thanks. We'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Andrew.